Sit down, but don't go passive. Though having watched the service so far, passive is not what you do, is it really? The energy in this place is amazing. Seeing so many people dancing and moving and shaking and rattling and that's not the bones, it's the tambourines, you know, it's, it's wonderful. In fact, and you probably know this, but I want to say it anyway, that sight in the church is a rarity. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. We're special. <laughs> Even amongst charismatic Pentecostal churches, it's often just by name. You don't see this kind of movement amongst people, if you don't mind me saying, who are perhaps half your age. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Dangerous ground. Okay. <laughs> I know. Um, that was just wonderful. In fact, I was sitting over there thinking, oh Lord, what do I do? You know, when, when the service, you've already had half your talk preached, and the presence of God comes, and you think, flip, where do we go? But I was left with, with one thing, and I was kind of glad we had the notices, because that kind of, kind of brought a break, and I was like, okay, good, I can go back to my notes, that's all right. But it, I just got thinking, because, you know, we've got what we've got coming forward over this next week, and we're thinking of Passover, you know, that's, that's the time of Moses. And what did he say to God? Unless your presence goes with us. I'm not going. It's not worth it. And I, I, I sense that hunger here right now. Lord, unless you are here, there's no point. And it's true. I mean, it's great fellowship. There's good food, nice coffee. But a social club isn't what we're about. Our hope is in Jesus. What I want to talk to you, first things first, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we do thank you for your presence. And it's your presence that makes all the difference. Thank you, Lord, that we are welcomed, not just into your presence, but Lord, you draw us into your family. And we thank you, Lord, that, that we can count ourselves as your sons and your daughters. Lord, help each one of us. Lord, as, Lord, as I, I speak, Lord, move among us that we would hear you speaking and you moving in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, what are you looking forward to? Maybe today, what are you looking forward to? Tomorrow, this week and beyond, what are you looking forward to? In the midst of your thinking about, well, what am I looking forward to? Is one of those things, are you looking forward to an opportunity to share your faith? Are you looking forward to an opportunity 
to pray with someone. And we can have all sorts of reasons why we might not be uh, looking forward to these things. You know, excuses that kind of say, well, I've got a reason not to. You know, illness can be something that we say, well, I'm, I'm too ill to share my faith or to pray with somebody. Four years ago, and it was about this time of year, four years ago, uh, Caroline, my wife, found herself in hospital for a week uh, with, with an illness, absolutely wiped her out. She was really ill, had no strength, no energy, no ability, really, to do anything. And yet, she managed to share her faith with the lady in the bed next to her and lead her to the Lord. Six months later, that lady died of her illness. Now, we might think, oh, she wasn't healed. But thank God, she was transferred from one kingdom to another in time. You know, we can even maybe put our age into the, a reason why we might not feel able to do these things. We could even be as old as Jim and still have opportunities. About, well, no, it was exactly a week before Cynthia died. My granddad died. And tomorrow, would have been his 103rd birthday. So he was 102, and uh, the Lord took him. He told him, actually, the Lord told him he was coming for him. <laughs> what comfort that must be. But he'd spent the last year in a home, and I saw him in the summer, and he said to me, I, I don't know why the Lord still got me here. You know, he was kind of looking forward to going. But while he remained here, he continued to share his faith, even amongst the people in the home. I mean, after all, they're a bit of a captive audience, and, and even if they tried to get away, they couldn't move very fast, could they? And so it was... But even at 102, he was still going, sharing his faith. Now, today, traditionally, we remember... Palm Sunday, or Passion Sunday, as it's also called. That day when Jesus rides on the donkey into Jerusalem and the people that gather, you know, the people that gathered, they were waiting for a Messiah. There was high expectancy, and Jesus had raised that level. But what people were waiting for wasn't the same as what Jesus was bringing as they worked out, and as we, we know what happened as we think of the week ahead. But he was, at that point, he was celebrated as a king, riding humbly into the city. Now what we know is that he is the king. That he didn't come under false pretenses, people just misunderstood. Even among his disciples, they still didn't have a clue, really, who he was. But as we look ahead in the week, and we get to, we get to Thursday, we get to uh, the beginning of Passover, 
When Jesus shared that Passover meal with his disciples, that last meal that he would have, and we've already remembered that uh, today. And then we think beyond that. This is, as you know, what are we looking forward to? When we think beyond uh, the Last Supper and we get to the garden, we get to the distress, the weightiness of that moment. The disciples, they couldn't cope. They couldn't stay awake. And then in the midst of that, Jesus, in his, in his anguish, as he was looking ahead, he knew what was coming. He knew the cost of it, what he would have to do. But a glorious moment in the midst of that when he comes to be arrested. And this often gets overlooked, but you know, he declares, Jesus himself declares who he is. You know, they come and say, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. And they fall to the ground. The weight of Jesus declaring his name. Raw. And then there's the betrayal. You know, seeing those he'd walked with day to day for the last three years. Being left, betrayed. Then the crucifixion. Just before the Sabbath. What an extraordinary moment. I'm going to try and, and describe something to you without too much emotion. I'll try. I have not succeeded yet. Okay, so bear with me. I can feel it now. Okay. <clears throat> when Jesus was looking to the cross, we see it from our perspective. We see it from a human point of view. We see it from a limited, finite perspective, from the depths of our own experience. Jesus was looking at it from the depths of his experience. And what was that? Jesus, in this eternal relationship of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, of an infinite depth and bond of love. We know what it's like when we lose someone that we love, or even they just move away and we lose touch. It hurts and it hurts deeply. But do you imagine being in an eternal relationship that was from everlasting it had no beginning, it always was. With a level of love and of fellowship and of oneness that is beyond anything we will experience here on earth. And that being cut, broken. Amidst the pain, the suffering, the humiliation, all of that, that goes with it, what distressed Jesus the most was being separated from his father. Something he'd never experienced. Something God within himself had never encountered. To think of the father. Because Jesus taking the weight of sin upon himself. 
having to turn his face away from his son, who he loved. And he declared it a number of times in the scripture, doesn't he? This is my son who I love. But then, of course, there's the great and glorious day of resurrection. Hallelujah. Thank goodness for the resurrection. Thank goodness for the resurrection. That's next Sunday, by the way. But don't feel you've got to wait till then. You can celebrate it whenever you like. It's a glorious thing. Now, if you ask most Christians what the gospel is, if you say, what is the gospel? They will point to that and say, that is the gospel. And maybe many of us will do the same and say, yes, that is the gospel. I want to ask you a question. And I hope it doesn't get me chucked out. I'm going to ask the question, is that right? Is that right? Don't worry. Okay. Because if we're to preach the full gospel, you know, that's a term that we can like, we can, we like, you know, we're a full gospel people. Is that all of it? The answer is no. That is not the full gospel. It's central to the gospel. Jesus is the central point of it. He makes sense of it. He makes it happen. He is the centerpiece of it. But what is the full gospel? What does the Bible say? And that's always a good place to go to. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says this. When it talks about the gospel, it says the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of God. Now, there's an interesting one. What is the gospel of God? What does that mean? There's the gospel of the grace of God. There's the gospel of the glory of Christ. And there's one more, and I'm going to save it for a minute. The reason why the death and resurrection of Jesus is not the full gospel, when we look at scripture, it tells us Jesus preached the gospel. Jesus, before the cross and the resurrection, preached the gospel. So what was he preaching? You take a step even further back, John the Baptist, he preached the gospel. What was the gospel he was preaching? Oh, I can hear the whispers already. You're desperate to get it out, aren't you? I can hear it. Even the disciples in the gospels, Jesus sent them out to preach the gospel. Now, we're talking about a bunch of people, a bunch of men, who were clueless. Didn't know, even, even up to the cross and beyond the cross, did not have a clue what was going on. So what did they preach? Uh, I've, I've heard you already. Go on then, tell me, what, the, what was the gospel that they preached? Louder. Kingdom. They preached the gospel of the kingdom. Now, why is this important? 
It's important because it answers the question of why it is important. When Jesus came to die for us, what was the problem that needed solving? What had been lost that needed regaining? What had been broken that needed fixing? Because the cross and the resurrection isn't simply just the chance to get a ticket to heaven. That's great. Aren't we all thankful that we have a place in heaven? A place in eternity, the constant, fully revealed presence of God. You know, if, if you enjoyed 10 minutes ago, you're going to love heaven. Aren't you? Really? Just amazing. There's so much more. There is so much more. And to give less, we sell ourselves short. Because if we don't know the gospel, the full gospel, we cannot live the full gospel. And if we cannot live the full gospel, we cannot preach the full gospel. Those people that we want to bring into the kingdom, we cannot give them the full gospel. We're selling them short. And if we're selling ourselves short, and we're selling them short, then we're most definitely selling God short. It's not just about the next life. Our hope, your hope, is present. It is now, not just the future. There's actually a scripture that, I mean, it's just extraordinary, captures the whole thing in one sentence. And you all know it. I bet you, you all know it. Because in Romans 8, everybody knows Romans 8. Verse 32, it says, He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? The question is, what is the everything else? The everything else is the kingdom. The full gospel. When we, if we preach, preach, forget preach, if we tell people that the gospel is the cross and the resurrection, then we're saying that that is the gospel. That is the gospel. From the first page to the last. In fact, from before the first page to beyond the last page. That is the gospel. Another way of looking at, looking at this is, if Jesus is the focus of the Bible, then the kingdom of God is its context. The Bible starts with God extending his kingdom into our into the physical reality. He plants the garden. He creates creation 
puts a garden on a planet, puts plants, animals, and a couple of people, and he's like, this looks like my kingdom. The fall happens. There's broken relationship. Broken relationship with God. And the kingdom of God is removed. They're kicked out, evicted from the garden, and the garden can no longer be found. You can no longer enter into it. And then what we find is the story of the restoration of the relationship, but also of our place in the kingdom. And then the Bible ends with the fullness of both. Let's just look a bit deeper into this. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and he also re- it's also repeated in 9.35, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, sorry, I'm proclaiming, yeah, sorry, the gospel of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus was the one who demonstrated. He was, the, he was the paradigm, wasn't he? He was the one who we should follow and base our lives upon. He showed us what to do. And when he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, he brought the words and he brought the demonstration. And then in Matthew 10, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. And then moving on to verse 7 and 8. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. He said to the disciples, as I've been doing, now you go and do it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, this is Paul. My speech and my preaching were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. What we see here, if I could summarize this, is that Jesus, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, he's baptized, the Spirit came upon him, he went into the wilderness, was tempted, and he came out on the power of the Holy Spirit. And then from there, he went and preached the gospel and demonstrated it. Uh, much of his teaching was about the kingdom. When things did happen, particularly when people were healed, he would say, the kingdom of God has come near. And then he gave his disciples the power to do the same and told them to go and do it. At the Great Commission, at the end of Matthew, he says, well, now go and make disciples and teach them to do the same. And what we see with Paul is that being fulfilled, being carried out. Paul is doing the same. And it's not just Paul. We see that in Peter and all the others doing extraordinary things, that they bring the word. We can't get away from the word. We have to speak the word. But we also have to make room for the power of God, for the demonstration, for God to move. 
And there's lots of swings and roundabouts in this. We see in different places. We see some places that are so focused on the demonstration. And I don't necessarily mean the power of God demonstration. I mean, they, they kind of take that whole, uh, is it Francis of Assisi, you know, kind of preach the gospel and use words if you have to. It's like, no, that's a little rubbish. No. You preach the word. You give the word. You have to speak the word. But God will back you up. And we see it in a lot of our places and a lot of churches where it's just word. Now, nothing wrong with the word. But how do you prove the word if there's no demonstration? When we think about the gospel, we've got to ask questions. Why did Jesus die? What did it achieve? How should we respond to him? How is your life different because of what Jesus has done? Because you can talk about the cross and the resurrection and people can say, wonderful. So what? So what? That's a fair question. So what? Because if they, if they look at your life, if they look at my life and they can't see a so what, they're just going to wonder, well, what's the point? Yes, it's comforting to think I've got eternal paradise as something to, to look forward to. And, and I've come across too many people, including church leaders, where that's how they live. And I was, I was in a church one time, and I'd been there a little bit because I've been involved. And I couldn't understand why nothing was happening. Nothing was going, really going on. And then I was just, I listened, I really listened to him preaching one time. And the effect of what he said was, well, we're just waiting until we get to heaven. Well, I mean, yes, we are. <laughs> because that is the fullness of our redemption. But is this life really something that we're just hanging on to, waiting until we get there? That's not life, is it? What is the hope? What is the hope that you can give to somebody whose life is hanging by a thread? You can give them, yes, you can, you can give them a hope that when it comes to it, they will be in paradise with God forever. But actually, that's a dangerous place. Because they're just, well, I'll just go now. That smacks to me of the one who comes to steal, kill and destroy. Hope is now. 
the point of the cross and the resurrection is not just future, it is present, it is now, it is for today. It is so that we can live as people that have hope, hope for today that God is present in the midst of what we are doing, what is going on, that the things that we experience, that the desperate places that we find ourselves in, that when we're trying to comfort somebody, we've actually got something to comfort them with. I I think of that that person in the hospital that Caroline shared her faith with. She gave her hope. This lady, as she shared her faith and led her to the Lord, she had hope. Hope for the present that maybe there was some way through this. And certainly, yes, there was comfort in the midst of what she was going on. And we we thought that maybe she was going to be healed. But she wasn't. But we had the comfort of knowing that God had her. The cross, the cross of Jesus is not the destination. It's the gateway. Part of the language of the church that I've heard too much is of this constant, it's all about the cross. Now don't get me wrong, in many respects it is. As we've already said, it is central, it is crucial, it is the pivotal point in the whole all of history for our faith. But it is not about continually coming to the cross. It is about living your life in the consequence of the cross. It is the gateway. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself declared that he wasn't the destination. He was the means to get to the destination. That it was only through him that you could get to the Father. It was only through him. The cross is the gateway to the kingdom of God. If all we do is bring people to the cross, it's like inviting somebody to your home and letting them stand at the gate. And they never get to enjoy your garden, your home. They never get to enjoy your hospitality or anything. They don't get the opportunity to explore. There is so much more for us. So much more for us, for others. And and actually, there's so much more for God to do in us. We're invited into his family and, and I loved what you were, you were saying earlier as you are doing communion. And, and then we sang this song, uh, I'm a friend of God. And actually, that jarred with me a little bit. Because you talked about family. And I'd already had this little conversation in my head that, yeah, the thing about friends is that you can be friends, you can fall out, and no longer be friends. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. When you're family... You can have a fallout. Yeah. You cannot talk to each other, but you're still family. You know, nobody can take that away. 
even you can't take away the fact that you're related to somebody else. I mean, I'm, I know there's, I'm sure there's people that we want to be able to do that with. We won't go there. There's an opportunity for prayer afterwards, if that's you. But we're family, and there's nothing we can do to break it. That was it. That's what you said, wasn't it? It was unbreakable. Unbreakable. That's right. The thing about the cross is that Jesus made a covenant. You know, we didn't make it, so we can't break it. It is unbreakable. The covenant made forever, for all eternity, in Jesus. So what I want to encourage us with is that when we think about the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, and it's very easy in, in church, in our churchification, our, well, how, how did they put it, our Christianese, that's it, I was trying to think what the word was, you know, our, our language that we use, and we kind of shortcut to gospel being the Easter story. We've got to watch ourselves. Because we end, we end up living what we talk. So we've got to talk the kingdom of God. It's not wrong to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible talks, uses that language. But we've got to remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so our language is going to be the inclusive of everything else that is involved in what it means to become a follower or a disciple of Jesus. All the good things that God has got stored up for us. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. To him who loves us and freed us from our sin by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He made us to be a kingdom.